Welcome to Church and Other Drugs. My name is Jed. My name is Debesh. I really need to think. I've been Googling like clever intro lines because I feel like that's a really weak way to start the show. Everybody else, every other show I listen to has these like creative ways of starting and I, I can't think of one. We'll think of something. It's like, I guess call myself Apu and call you Jedediah Springfield. Oh, that's yeah. good. Oh, the, your sign-off should be, thank you, come again. <laughs> why, why not? I think that would be perfect. Um, well, so what's going on in your world before we get to some things? I Yeah, I um, so school has just been really, really heavy. It's like second year PhD program, so I've been... um. We're about to start a research project. This may be my dissertation. So it's funny, man. I feel like, in a way, science kind of follows the streets. And, and what I mean by that is, yep. you know what I'm saying? And so what I mean by that is, like, everybody knows on the streets that methadone is bad. Yes. Right? yes. Like, everybody knows it's not helpful, and the detox is is, is worse. probably worse than death, you know? It's, it's the worst. And, you know, and so, like, so this... This uh, treatment center out here, uh, it's a hospital actually, and they and they they've been serving methadone to uh, opiate addicted uh, clients, heroin addicted clients, and um, and so they're like, you know, we we'll realize that we messed up, and so we're gonna try to <laughs> detox people off of methadone because this is no good, you know, and so they're like, this is on us, which is cool. They're taking that responsibility. Cool. That is cool. Which is huge. And so, uh, so we were gonna go in there and do like taper off subo- taper off methadone with suboxone and meditation interventions. See, when I that's how this is this is funny that this is how I I um, I got a doctor to write me a script of Roxy's because I was on I had taken like one or two methadone, but I told him that I was on methadone and this was my suboxone doctor. And he was like, Oh, well, I'm going to have to write you a script of 10 Roxy's to get you off of the methadone because you can't, you can't go straight from methadone to subs. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that'll, that, that, that'll be precipitated with well, you like can a, with the period of time though. Right. Like two or three days. Yeah, or is the I methadone so. still in well, you? Methadone 72 hours. So residual. after that three, I, yeah. four day detox, you can correct. As far as I know, as yeah. far as I know, because yeah, my well, let's see, I I, I got a, I think it was a, I got a five day script of Roxy's. It was two thirties mm-hmm. a day for mm-hmm. five days, or no, it might have been like two, two, one, one, and then done. Interesting. Like and so, and then when that ran out, they he started tapering you with subs. Yeah. Started oh, high, started really high. Okay, okay. But that was, huh. but that was also when I was on a, a maintenance dose of subs. I wasn't trying to like taper off. I was trying to stay on. That was back when you. they were like, subs was touted as the thing that you just stay on for the rest forever. of the yeah, forever. Hopefully that perception is changing in Louisiana. Out here, don't they don't. No, they don't, don't seem to do that out here. They seem to prescribe it correctly. Yeah, that's when it's used correctly. It's genius i also it just is. heard i don't know if you know that washington just the state of washington just sued purdue for what for um 
like uh i have to look at the exact lawsuit but the makers of uh, oxycontin yeah yeah purdue purdue uh pharmacy yeah, pharmaceuticals i think probably for like wrongful death uh mislabeling oh i hope they win yeah god i hope they win i'm sure they will dude like yeah they got yeah they got fucked um, but it's so stupid then they just make another one i mean the whole thing is so yeah, stupid different chemicals it's so stupid yeah yeah and like especially after like i was reading a thing on reddit about that new uh and from watching narcos like the tom cruise movie about barry seal the dude that flew cocaine for the cia right 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 it's like which okay. i hate that tom cruise is playing that guy of course dude like old, old toothy grin scientologist <laughs> tom cruise <laughs> But this is the thing that just makes me so upset. Uh-huh. That is a great example of a, a fucking tinfoil hat conspiracy that is absolutely historically true. Right. And it is happening again with opiates in Afghanistan. Yeah. The exact same thing. Same dude. thing. The same thing. But right now, if you try to say that, you're crazy. That, you're crazy. The government would never do that. And they're saying that part of it is... Movies like that coming out to—it's been like a decades-long process of Hollywoodizing these stories, so that when you say people are just gonna be like, "Oh, you mean like just like the movies?" It's like no, the opposite. No, the movies were real. Yeah, <laughs> were based yeah. on reality. <laughs> so that, people start thinking that the truth is is fiction. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's interesting. So speaking of conspiracies, I spent my day listening to uh, we're we're doing a, a conspiracy episode. Will kind of be out next week. It's ha- it's we didn't. It was kind of off the cuff, so it's more funny. Mm-hmm. But uh, it wasn't well researched. Um, but I listened all day today about uh, music conspiracies. Hmm. And I didn't. Re- <laughs> I didn't realize. Look at my cat. You see that shit? The cat looks evil, dude. Yeah. It's, it's tripping me out. I didn't even notice she was back there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't realize how much crazy evidence there is that Elvis didn't die when he died. What? I never heard did that you, one. Did you ever hear that Elvis is in Home Alone? What? No. <laughs> I'm, all right. Congregation, Google Elvis in Home Alone. So there, there's like... There's been like three sightings. There's been, you know, tons of sightings, quote unquote, but there's like three that are on camera uh, that are pretty damn convincing. One is when Muhammad Ali was coming outside of a door and there wasn't supposed to be media there. And mm-hmm. so it's like an ambush photography. And behind Muhammad Ali is a man with his eyes closed that looks incredibly like Elvis. That's number one. The second is in fucking Home Alone, the scene where. Uh, John Candy is in the airport meets Kevin's mom mm-hmm. there's a dude standing behind John Candy Elvis would have been 55 at, at the time of this movie he looks just like a 55 year old Elvis and he makes the same head mannerism almost like he's trying to give himself away the third one was in 2016 there's a ground there's a, vi- a video filmed at Graceland and there was a uh-huh. groundskeeper in a red shirt and jeans white hair white beard and he just walks by the camera and throw gives a, a peace symbol by his face and walks away and he didn't nobody knows who he did was he didn't work for the groundskeeping company what yeah so it's just like crazy and then apparently <laughs> there's it's it's I, I always thought it was like one of those like 
that one's just completely ridiculous. But then, like, I was like, there's a lot of shit. His name is misspelled on his tombstone. Wow. Because there, there's this, like, tape recording where Elvis... The tape recording itself is true, but nobody has been able to prove if it is Elvis. It sounds a lot like Elvis. Uh-huh. And he's talking to this lady about thinking about faking his death because he needs to go to rehab, but he wants to do it outside of the public eye, and he can't be the king anymore. And he said that, like, maybe I'll leave clues. And That will be the uh, biggest, like, like junkie, legendary thing to do ever, to fake your own death just to not go to rehab. Right? <laughs> well, here's the other thing. His life insurance policy never yeah. cashed. Wow. His, wow. his autopsy report was ordered sealed until 2027 by his dad. His autopsy report is sealed. It's sealed, but the, I mean, the public opinion was overdosed, correct? No, the official on the mm-hmm. death certificate was listed as uh, irregular heartbeat. You can't tell irregular heartbeat unless you're alive. And that's the official yeah. cause of death. So there's, a, I was like, damn, there's a lot of wow. fishy shit with that. And that's really in weird. In 2006, his uh-huh. wife, or Priscilla, is that his daughter or his wife? I, uh, I guess his I wife, but was being interviewed by wife. Oprah, and she's done this a few times, which uh-huh. this one, it could just be a, misspo- a misspeak, I'll grant it that. But she said, I was talking to, or Elvis said the other day, and then she goes, I mean, you said the other day. And apparently she's hmm. done that like a bunch of times. What? Yeah. Just, so it could be one of those situations like a like Arrested Development. Right. The dash just yeah. like living in the attic. Yeah, yeah, like. totally. <laughs> That's so oh. You know, so the Meditation Fellowship that I'm in, he used to, apparently he used to come by like the president and be like, man, if you like initiate me in this meditation, I'll give you a million dollars and stuff. He would like hang around there all the time. And just continue to use drugs and stuff. Yeah. Like, dude, like, we don't, we're not interested in doing, like, we don't want your money. Like, we won't do that for Appar- you. Apparently, he was a big time seeker toward the end. Like, yeah, spiritual. He was. Like, he, he died was. with, like, this weird, or not weird, but a, some sort of Christian book. Or, he allegedly died with some sort of Christian mm-hmm. book right next to him. Interesting. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true addict form, man. He's I know, so that's just sad. You know? The other interesting so. one I think you would get into, and mm-hmm. this one is more plausible, but. Basically, the gist of it is that the, I guess the government or whoever hired either record companies or record execs to cultivate gangster rap as a means in like 91 as a means uh-huh. to, this was like it was when private prisons were made and they needed to fill yeah. them. And yeah, it was, deals with deals with private prisons. Yes, mm-hmm. and to destabilize like the black community, but the... Yeah. The the there's a a paper published by some unknown guy and he claims I, that he I was read in that the it was a little yeah. while ago it was a maybe lead. last year yeah it's I was interesting. That, I it's mean a, all of it sounds legit and I really want to believe it all I don't think there's enough evidence no, but there's not there's yeah there's not like enough hardcore evidence but all of it makes sense it totally you know? makes sense all of it makes sense and the people involved and how like. You know, it's just one hand washes the other, kind of like when you own a treatment center and then you own a a, a drug testing company. You oh, know, that's dirty. Yeah. That whole circle. It's just the same kind of deal. You know, that's it's a been whole, a much grander scale. That's a whole racket. Well, um, yeah, speaking is. of rehabs, I'm about to interview my former uh, big brother, which is the mentor from when I was in rehab in St. Chris. 
We're gonna mm. hear his story. Swapped your conscience with your father's medication. Limped from Rome to Lawrenceville. And on the way, wrote out a self made declaration. And when you got to Pleasant Hill, you forced the traffic to erase your family demons. Made a pact with you and God. If you don't move, I swear to you, I'm We're rolling. gonna make you. Let's roll. All right, good. Mister, uh, do you want do you want to be anonymous, or are we using your name? Because um, your name's awesome. So we can use my name. That's fine. I'm just not going to identify the um, agency that I work for. Oh, uh, there you go. Ben Coffin, FBI. Yeah, uh, it's the. Yeah. <laughs> Bert Macklin. Yeah, uh, exactly. What's up, man? How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm good. Thanks for uh, asking me to do this. I always appreciate an opportunity to share some stuff that might be able to help, help somebody else. It's, it's an ambush roast, actually. But That's fine. So, Is this an intervention? Cause it's you're an like, intervention. <laughs> A you're Skype ex- intervention would be the most worthless shit in the world. They'd just, like, log off. Close the laptop. Yeah, close the laptop. <laughs> Yeah. So, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I hear you. I have it. Yeah, yeah. Bye. Yep. click. Um, yeah. So I met you in St. Christopher's in 2005. Yes, it has been that long. So you and our friends are over a decade. Yeah. Oh yeah. Almost two decades now. Well, I don't know. We weren't friends the whole time. No, we weren't. You didn't, not at yeah. first. You were my big brother yeah. though, weren't you? I don't know. I don't remember. I, think I did were. a lot of brain damage between them. Yeah. You were an asshole, man. You were a northerner. You were the Yank. So you had that, yeah. like, Yankee swagger. Yeah, you know, I, it, that, was, uh, that was all learned behavior, right? So, like, I grew up in an environment where if you weren't, if you didn't act tough, like, you were a target, right? And so I came down to Louisiana and everybody was smiling at me, right? And what you do here when somebody smiles at you is you tell them to fuck off. And so, uh, where where is did, here? Where are you at? Uh, so I live in the greater Boston area. I'm originally from the greater Boston area. Boston is uh, my home. Um, at times, I have been very ashamed of that fact, but um, these days I feel uh, pretty glad, pretty lucky to be back here and be around all my family. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So it, Boston, Boston, clam chowder. That's all I know. I'll have to come. I'll have, I've never wait. The socks. I don't think I've. I don't think I've ever been to Boston, but I have been watching Ray Donovan. You watch Ray Donovan? Good show. It is a good show, and so I've been. You know, I tend to start talking like whatever I'm watching. That's got to be telling of some kind of mental disorder. I. I yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Are so, you watching? Is that why you're? Y- yeah, I'm just with yeah. yeah. So, uh, so actually, well, when I met you, you had just come from Atlanta. I had. I you were had in just treatment from- in Atlanta. So, give us a little, I'm- give us the, give us a little lowdown. So, on- the short version of how I ended up in treatment in Atlanta before I met you was, um, I, you know, grew up and started uh, drinking and getting high at a at an early age, right? We hear this all the time. You know, it's true for me. How and old were you? My, 
Um, you know, I don't remember specifically. I was probably like 12 or 13, although I do remember getting caught drinking at a family at Thanksgiving at a family get together when I was like probably 10 years old. Um, it was not like a a habitual thing at that age, but I was at least interested in getting outside of myself at as young as 10 because I really did not like what was going on up here. So, um, yeah, in the head. So, you know, I started off early and it accelerated. So that what, the difference for me and a lot of people that I know now is that, you know, my drinking and drug use accelerated a lot faster than a lot of people who I've talked to. Like yeah, the, the period too. I'm where it was like, um, social was very, was pretty short for me. You know, it, it didn't, um, by the time I was finished with high school, which I, I graduated high school literally by the skin of my teeth. Um, it had already gone way beyond a social thing. Um, you know, and I graduated high school when I was 17 years old. So I was probably, I mean, I, I would say that it had gone beyond being a social thing at least a year before that. Right. I was yeah. doing you know, the sort of drugs that people don't do at parties before that. Yeah. You know, I don't like to talk a ton about, you know, what I was doing specifically, but I mean, you know, no, talk, my, that's this talk specifically. Uh, so my friends are doing one thing, like my friends are smoking weed. My friends are like crawling out to the beach at night and and uh, and having a couple of nips, right? And I'm fucking shooting oxycontin, right? You know, different. Yeah, that's. Did you? Was it because I'm just curious? Because mine was because. Well, it was a twofold reason. So like, I was. It turned out that I was bad at drinking. So to kind yeah. of like defeat that, I rationalized in my head that like I'm just gonna be different. Like you guys. Like you go ahead and drink, like that's lame shit. I'm gonna do like the crazy things. Like, did was there any of that, or like it was just a pure like? So it actually there was a little bit of that. Um, I I liked drinking, um, and I wasn't necessarily bad at it either. It was something that I liked and I was really interested in. Um, but I also liked and was really interested in baseball. And mm-hmm. at high school, uh, getting caught drinking carried a harsher penalty than just about anything yes. else you could possibly imagine. It meant, you know, my, my baseball life would have come to an end. And at that time in my life, it was easy for me to prioritize baseball over stuff like that. Yeah. It became more difficult later on. But I actually stayed away from alcohol my entire high school career, um, save, you know, maybe a handful of, of times. Well, um, and from a practical standpoint, like it's just easier to get caught drinking because you smell exactly. like it that's that was exactly. my whole thing too my exactly. mom would smell my breath every time i came home so but right. like can't smell that weed mama can't well you, know, you can't can smell, well what we, <laughs> nobody can smell opiates it's Not true i can you smell like I, heroin yeah. yeah you smell like I, pickles it's actually funny because you start to sweat this is yeah. you know we'll talk about this later on but you, you start to sweat it out and oh, yeah. and walk around the streets of Boston right now and I walk past people in like suits and I'm like, he is high. Like he is high. It's whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So the, the Boston dope scene is pretty infamous. Dope yeah. We're killing, killing it in the game right now. Yeah. Boston dope represent, um, <laughs> killing the game. So when I say killing it, I mean to say that, um, in the last three years, it's always been a problem in this area. Oxycontin yeah. hit area really hard. I remember being um, an active 
uh, opiate addict and seeing um, an America's Most Wanted episode about how Salem, Massachusetts was the epicenter of the uh, OxyContin epidemic in the United States. Um, I am from um, that area and in fact spent a lot of my time in Salem at that time. And uh, I was like, look, Ma, we made the news. Yeah. You know? <laughs> And so just like a lot of other places, right, if you introduce an, an opiate or an opioid like that into a community and there's, you know, high frequency of addiction, once even upon the removal of that opiate or opioid, yeah. like opiate addiction stays, yep. you know, the drug might go, the drug might come and go, but the opioid addiction stays. And so we've been killing it in the game since as far back as I can remember. Um, and that uh, has just absolutely... It's, so every three years, I'm like, you know, I don't know. It can't really get much worse than this. And then I look back three years later, and I'm like, Jesus. Yeah, you know? Baton Rouge. Is, yeah, it's got – I guess I don't know if it's – I'm sure everywhere everybody is, the local news will, will tell them that this is the worst. But, like, Baton Rouge has been – like, and I guess it's all the car fentanyl shit that people are dying from. But the OD levels are going out of control. I remember when I came down for your wedding, there was some, I think maybe Mike was talking to me, you know, Mike from your podcast, uh, yeah, <laughs> was talking to me about like a handful of overdoses in a weekend and, and how things were, you know, getting pretty crazy. Um, there was, you know, it's uh, not uncommon. I work partially in emergency services now and, um, it's not uncommon for there to be like in over a hundred overdoses in a day in the Metro consistently, consistently. Yeah. Holy shit, yeah. dude! That's no, not awful, but I mean, you know, we've we've had in weekends where, you know, an entire you know a hundred people have passed away. That's insane. Yeah, so okay, so uh, so was there any impetus to get you in a treatment that first time, or was it just kind of like the standard like? So mom that and was dad? actually that was my third time in treatment. Okay, um, I was uh, twenty right when we met and that was my third time in treatment i've been to detox a handful of times as well um the very first time i ended up in treatment was sort of the you know mom and dad there's a problem here kind of deal mm -hmm. um but uh you know that was short-lived and i did what i needed to do to get everybody off my back you know i didn't wasn't really paying any attention in fact i only vaguely remember it because those detox drugs man oh yeah they're yeah. good. Um, they are good. Some sometimes. You know, you know what's the worst is I had just been like scraping enough money together to get high for a while and yeah. I got to detail and I was high for like the first time in a couple of weeks and I was like <laughs> I don't, I'm coming I'll be back next week. Um and then you know, funny enough I was. But um Yeah. But yeah. The second time I uh overdosed, but it was um I overdosed, you know, by myself in my car. Uh, I believe I'd had a seizure um, because, you know, I woke up and, you know, there was sort of blood all over me mm -hmm. and, you know, it really like my, my tongue was chewed up. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize all this at the time. In fact, I just had no idea where I was or what the hell was going on. As I started to come out of it and I started to realize, um, and I started to think about things like, um, you know, I was pulled over on a back road. You know, if I had passed away there, nobody would have known where I was. You know, this overdose, if if I wasn't lucky enough to sort of come out on the other side, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have been anywhere where I would have received any emergency services. Like, wow, that was a close one. And for the first time, you know, I was kind of like, okay, yeah, you know, e. this is bad. 
And so I, I, I went straight to my parents' house from there. I don't remember if I was living there at the time or not, but it doesn't matter. I went straight there and I, and I walked in and I sat down on the couch, like all in one, you know, one long winding sort of camera shot, right? I walked <laughs> in the door, I walked through all the rooms. I found where my father was sitting. I sat right down on the couch across from him and I just said, I need help, you know, um, and I, you know, and he was like, what's going on? He sees me, I got blood on me. And, you know, I explained everything to him. I just, I just laid it all out there. I was like, this is a thing and I don't have any idea how to get a handle on it. So what do I do? And he was like, sit tight, you know, we'll figure it out. And so I detoxed for a couple of days on their couch. Um, that was pretty miserable. Oh, um, yeah, I, sure. I remember being really miserable. Um, because you know it had been like a, a year or two, and it was the first time I really detoxed without detox drugs or anything like that. Yeah, um, I mentioned that because that became like my greatest fear in the world was like detoxing. Um, but yeah, he got me off to a treatment center, which was actually pretty good. He, you know, he got in touch with my uncle. My uncle's in recovery. My uncle was able to help us out, connect me with the treatment center. I went there, and it was actually a pretty good experience. Um, although the problem was, you know, they pumped me full of detox drugs and I was high the whole time I was there. It really wasn't until I got out that, um, that the sort of gravity of my situation actually hit me because I had been high the whole time. So yeah. I heard a lot of things and I had a good experience, but, but the physical, um, you know, the physical withdrawals and that was still to come. And, um, and yeah. I wasn't in a place to go through that. So, you know, I went to treatment, I got out of treatment. I was like maybe two days sober outside of treatment. And that became a, for me as the years went on. But then, you know, so I, I bounced around for a while longer, detox again, ended up in Atlanta, spent a long time there, got high a bunch of times when I was there, sort of kept tripping up. It was a really lax, really weird environment what, to what be. What was that, Copac? No, it was called uh, Talbot. Talbot. Um, again, it was a family connection that got me in there. And, um, you know, there were... I, met a lot of people that there that had good intentions, but, um, it was not, it was a bunch of older people that I couldn't relate to. Wasn't that Eric, um, Eric the red was in there, wasn't he? I don't know. That's a good I question. Thought, I thought that, I thought y'all had that, or he's from Atlanta. How did, right? Am I, am I making I that up? I haven't thought about him in a long time. Dude. No resemblance, no red. <laughs> uh, anyway, point is I didn't hear what I needed to hear in there. And I, I just, I was miserable. And so I, you know, I did what I always do when I get, when I get miserable, I got high. And, um, my counselor there knew about St. Christopher's cause she was originally from Baton Rouge. Okay. She was like, this might be a good fit for you. Like, will you go and will you try? And I was like, yeah, whatever. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it ended up being a really great fit. You know, I learned 90% of the stuff I still rely on my first introduction to now, or, you know, my first yeah. introduction was there. That was a really at that time, dude. That was a really special place, man. Like, let's like out of, I, don't, I guess we'll call it our graduating graduating class. Like, there's like 13 of us or whatever. I still talk to you, Randy, Brent, Dirty, uh, Chris Sherman. Um, who else? I still see John every now and then, or like see him on Facebook. But yeah. Jay Roberts, Bernard Roberts. I okay. see, I see Bernard, <laughs> Bernard, dude, the last time I saw Bernard, uh, we shot Coke until I went into a like coma or something and he just like disappeared when I was living with like, 
Larry and all the people from church, if you remember that, in the Garden District. I don't know if you remember that. I do. I've seen him much, much, much more recently than that, but uh, still probably a couple of years ago now. He's a good man. He he is, and he always seems to just, like, like I end up in a coma, and he, like, goes to work or whatever. Like, how does that happen? But we're doing the same thing. Like, I don't He's talented. He is, dude. Sneaky. So... All right, so you we graduated treatment. Um, I moved into a house with John. Um, did you graduate after me? No, you graduated before me. Yeah, you were living with Gabe. Uh, yep. Yep. Yep, true. So your roommate ended up relapsing. You ended up moving in with me. And then... Yep. I developed my first resentment against Ben because I relapsed and old Ben had to kick me out of my own house. I was so mad at the time. I was actually doing fairly well through that time. You know, I was you working were. with, I was working with a sponsor and that was my first, my first, uh, actual time, like really going through the book and going through the step work. And, um, I wasn't really that, uh, good at it uh-huh. and I uh, was dedicated to it. Um, but I, but every time I did do it, I really got a lot out of it. And so I was actually probably feeling the best I had ever felt in my adult life. And uh, it was not easy to kick you out of that house, man. I was really oh, I feeling know. in retrospect. I was really feeling for you, man. You looked you looked like I had looked just a year prior, you yeah. know, and I felt I felt really bad about that. Well, what's interesting is I didn't realize how uh, it, it's just because like, I guess I'm how old are you? Thirty three. 33. Yeah, so I'm three years behind. So I'm realizing now that our stories are literally congruent, just like three years progressed. And I've got another little guy that's three years behind me that's doing the – he's doing the exact same shit, which I feel bad, but hopefully. Yeah, I'm actually meeting with one of those after this. You yeah, know, he's right yeah. Where so, okay, so this is where I lost track for a while. So what what happened after that? How long were you sober? That? I was sober for um, another probably year, um, doing pretty well actually, um, and I was you know still working when I was going through um, difficult periods. Uh, you know I got a lot of stuff going on in my head. Uh, you know I'm a person that su- definitely suffers from you know mental illness as well as uh, you know addiction issues, and um, I was actually finding a lot of relief in the rooms. Are and you med- uh, are you medicated? I'm not medicated um, by choice. Uh, easily, you know, I could walk in anywhere and get a script for anything. I don't know if that's. I still am, but I mean, I'm. On, I mean, it's you know, I'm on Prestique and Wellbutrin. I'm not like like benzoed, but I. Yeah. I, I and the, the, you know, all I can say is like I never could get sober until that. So I don't know. I'm kind of afraid you know, to fix it. But people, I know a lot of people um, in the fellowship that are that are medicated and are. are it's exactly what they need. You know, I hold yeah. no biases at all. Zero. I just found what worked for me. You know, yeah. like I was honest to God, like, um, you know, I sort of ran through that, you know, trying to find something that would help. And when I never did, I figured out that I had to do it on my, you know, I had to do it yeah. on my, own. if somebody presented, you know, said here, you know, try this and you, you know, you'll have relief from a lot of the symptoms that you experience every day. I, I might try it, you know, under medical care, but, um, but yeah, I hold no biases against that. Anyway, yeah, it is. That was the first time that I started to experience relief um, from some of that stuff in the fellowship, in the rooms, in the book, and working with my sponsor. Um, and 
you know, I had a pretty good run, you know, frankly, life was good. I had a lot of the stuff that I wanted, um, you know, bunch of friends, a lot of support, um, you know, fun job, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, you know, same story as everybody, dude, you hear it all the time, just resentment and stuff started to creep back in. I really thought that I was the shit. Um, which is funny because on the outside I was feeling like I was the shit, but inside I was still just like real, a lot of self doubt, a lot of craziness. And, um, Oh, I, and yeah. I do remember that you used to be a, a, a resentful dude, even when sober. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, on it, but I never did the kind of work that actually took it away. Right. We'll talk about that later on. Maybe we'll right. do like a little God recovery crossover towards the end, but, oh, yeah. um, and, did any of the work that actually helped to take away that that resentment stuff anyway the point is go ahead because no, you weren't big into god back then were you no or i was uh, were you i was uh vehemently atheist that's what i thought yeah yeah okay so uh, continue just i believe that there was there were a lot of forces out there in the universe that were larger than myself so you know you know when you look at we agnostics in the book i was able to make a lot of those connections even though I did not believe in uh, a divine creator. Um, people have sort of opinions about that. I was able to find some peace without the divine creator, but still being able to see and believe in forces out there in the universe that are larger than myself. That's not where I am now, but I was okay then. Anyway, gotcha. the point is I didn't do what I needed to do to take care of the resentments. The, resentment, the resentments got super bad, and I drove to fucking Seattle you know, oh, across yeah. the, that's right. That's out, right. Gone. I drove to Seattle. And what I left when I went to Seattle was my sponsor, my supports, the fellowship. Um, I was hoping that I would leave my resentments behind, but those I packed and those came with me. And, uh, honest to God, I'm not kidding you. By the time I got out of the car on the other end, uh, it was a two day trip that I made with a friend of mine. Um, by the time I got out on the car on the other end, I was drunk. I mean, it was <laughs> like within an of getting out of the car on the other end um you know i don't know and uh there was a lot of relief from the resentment that came in, in getting drunk again yeah. um and uh and that started a those are a, dude those are the a, nastiest relapses where it's like you've you've gotten sober and not quite gotten the peace and then when you like first relapse and it's like Oh, I'm gonna give you peace, and you're like, oh yeah, for God, this is the ticket. Yeah, those are yeah. bad, dude. Yeah, and mine was uh, seven years long. Yeah. So. so how did? Yeah. So well, I know how it ends, but how did? Uh, what was kind of the 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 culmination to get you to come back to Louisiana? So I had blown out of Oregon, basically. I uh, I took Portland, Oregon, and I and I socially financially i just set everything on fire it was just alcohol you, know? you never went back to the dope so i did actually uh funny story about that is i drank in relative safety for about six years um dabbling in drugs throughout but i knew that once i crossed that threshold i was in real trouble mm -hmm. and so staying clear of that was just one thing right well at least i'm not doing this yeah. at least i'm not doing that yeah and uh, and once i uh once I crossed that threshold, which at that time was um, with crack cocaine, nice. um, and uh, and I spent actually a year in relative function um, smoking crack cocaine and drinking, all, 
every single day of my life. Yeah, nice balance. It was about how the fuck. Well, that would be a whole episode of how the hell you managed to function smoking crack for a year. It was. I did a lot of brain damage, to be honest with you. Like I killed a lot of the parts of my brain that one would be nervous about trying to do that. Like I actually uh. like punched myself in the brain to where I thought that like I really had it together. Um, so, as in, like when you started so to get paranoid, you would punch yourself, type of thing. What's that? As in, like when you started to get paranoid, you would punch yourself. No, oh. as in, like I started to get paranoid, I would drink thirty beers and then I would. <laughs> You know, and I would overshoot the mark. My whole life at that time was actually funny because work was a part of it. I was still working at the time, you know. As a cook, um, I, I imagine? No, I was working in a restaurant. I was serving and uh, bussing <laughs> tables and, um, yeah, talking to customers. And, oh, that's funny. Yeah, uh, you know, there's there's an, there's an definitely a couple of amends out there left to be made. Um, but the point mm-hmm. is um, I freaking – I always had this, it was always, so all day, every single day of my life was wake up, get high, and then try and level off. Yeah. And so it was this constant, you know, high, and then I got to level off, but I'd overshoot the mark. And so then I would have to level off again. And yep. it just never stopped. And I'm, you know, it was 20, it was 20 hours a day because I was sleeping four hours a night. But then once a week, I would pass out for a day. Um, oh, yeah. That's that good sleep. Yeah, and so I really did a lot of physical damage to myself during that time. That's, uh, you know, I started to like, you know, I didn't sleep, right? So I'd start to lose thoughts and I, you know, had a lot of paranoia, obviously. Um, And the amount of alcohol that I was needing to level off was like really seriously giving me wet brain. Uh, I was shaking all the time. I was shaking when I was drinking, which is weird. I don't know what sort of physical point you have to reach to where actually are drinking and shaking at the same time like but that's I got, that's like literally you're just constantly on the cusp of seizure yeah it was fun i got really into video poker um <laughs> i got super into a lot of things um i got really into ufos i got really into video poker i got um really specifically into a lot of stuff um but what the the main thing and the point of it all is that um that was the first time in my life where all bets were off and I put all my relationships, familial, you know, romantic, friend, all of those relationships were like way down here and drinking and getting high was way up here and there was a huge gap. Um, you know, work, uh, you know, any sort of goals in life, that was all like way down here at the bottom. Yeah. Um and it got fucking super messy. And somewhere in there, um, you know, I decided that it was everybody else's fault, which is, uh, you know, a nice little complication to add to somebody who's already pretty pre-inclined to, to being a resentful person. And, uh, and yeah, I got, I got messed up. And so I burned Portland to the ground for myself. There was actually no way that I could stay there another day and live, basically. And so that's how I ended up back in Baton Rouge. Well, wait, wait. But that's where the thing happened. Oh, the thing. No, the thing happened in Seattle. Oh, well, yeah. Well, don't skip over that. So (laughs) while I was fighting this balance, right, this, you know, always trying to level off. I was living this life. And I was in a relationship. I had a job. I was keeping it together. I still had some social relationships. 
Um, I went to Seattle to visit a friend of mine from high school, long-term friend, still close friends, talked to him yesterday, um, and another friend of ours from high school who I hadn't seen in years. Vacation uh, with the girl who I was dating at the time, went to this, you know, we're staying in a nice hotel, we went out and had this great dinner, all this stuff. I decided that I want to go out, you know, for a stroll. Um, and uh, because I, I don't know whether I was trying to walk off the drugs or I don't remember. It's a, it's a little bit hazy. But anyway, I couldn't be in the hotel room at the time. Like, I don't know whether I was, you know, pacey or whatever, or, you know, whatever, I, any number of reasons why I can't be in this little box. Yeah. So yeah. I just, right and i went for a walk it was like 75 degrees out you know august uh, it was july 30th uh uh you know beautiful night gorgeous night i know the city a little bit it's pretty i spent some time there before i just walked around i've been out for maybe a half an hour i decided to stop at an atm uh to get cash for breakfast because the place that i wanted to go for breakfast the next day was cash only i hadn't eaten all day because you know um Really, I'm like hyper focused on breakfast the next morning. Like after I sleep, I'll be able to eat. Um, <laughs> so I'm gonna pull a couple of bucks out of the ATM, and you know, no bullshit. Um, I, I took the money out, and when I put the money in my pocket, my hand went in my pocket, and another hand also went in my pocket. I had no idea there was anybody even in my vicinity, um, and I saw this hand go in my pocket, and I kind of jumped. And as soon as I jumped, I realized that, um, you know, that my back was wet. My back was wet because I had gotten stabbed in the back. Oh, um, some shit. Knife in, knife in my back and their hand in my pocket at the same time. Um, and I turned around and there were three people standing there. I tried to, you know, just push them off because I actually at that at that time was like, they're, I mean, I'm not dead. And so they're going to try and make sure that, that yeah. I get dead. And, um, and they actually took off. Uh, I was lucky in that sense. But uh, then I was just standing there in a city I didn't know without my cell phone, having just been stabbed with blood pouring out of my Ooh. out of my back. Every time I took it, I, I, my lung puncture, and every time I took a breath, I could feel blood going in and coming out at the same time. Um, amazing to me, looking back, that um, for all the times that I put myself in a lot of really, really sketchy situations, that out for, out for a stroll was right. the time that would be in danger right. um yeah but whatever we you know it karma builds i believe you know what i mean like it, it you know i'm not like one of those everything you know everything happens for a reason kind of guys but yeah, yeah I, I am but that's i mean i really truly believe that um at that point i had done enough bad stuff that it was my turn you know wow. um and so I grabbed the next guy on the street and got him to, it's funny because I never went, you know, I never went down. I never hit the ground. The next guy walking down the street, I said, you know, can you call 911? I've been stabbed. And he's looking at me like I'm crazy because I'm standing in front of him. I'm totally fine. Right. And he was like, you're okay. What are you talking about? Like he <laughs> Walk it off. Which, but I wasn't, you know, out there as a crackhead. Anyway, um, and I turned around to show him where I've been stabbed. And by the time I turned back, he was already dialing, um, <laughs> which led me to believe that it was pretty bad. Um, and so I waited in Seattle PD. He was nice enough to send two uh, cops on a bicycle, um, two bicycle police to respond to a stabbing. Good call. <laughs> Eventually, I... Uh, ding, ding, ding. Did they ring their yeah. bells? <laughs> they were like, which way did you go? And I'm like, uh, I'm dying. You know? Yeah. 
but you know, I survived luckily a couple of surgeries and, um, a couple of weeks in the hospital. Um, and I made it, I'm really lucky, uh, you know, blood transfusion, um, mm-hmm. you know, thoracic surgery, um, a lot of reasons why I shouldn't have been there. They told, they been here. They told my girlfriend at the time who made it down to the hospital that it was, you know, really touching to go. They called my parents against my, um, against my request. They basically broke HIPAA law mm-hmm. in calling parents because thought that I was going to die. You know, I said, don't call them. It's four o'clock in the morning there. And, you know, call, call yeah. them when I come to surgery. Why keep them up all night, you know? Yeah. And, and they called them because they didn't think I was going to make it. Jeez. Did you get yeah. PTSD from that? Um, yeah, I felt a lot of lingering after effects from that. So yeah. the, the month afterwards, I actually had this like very like strong sense that, um, I'd been given a second chance at life. Um, I was on heavy pain medication, um, and was not abusing it in any way, shape or form. Um, I was not drinking the way that I had been drinking prior to, um, I was bound and determined to, um, come back strong from this thing. And, um, and I told everybody who would listen to that. And, uh, you know, a lot of them believed me cause I meant it. And, um, about a month later, the sort of gravity of what had gone on really started to kick in. Yeah. And, um, and man, you know, you know, I talk about using crack cocaine and, um, the paranoia from, um, oh, yeah. lasting effect of, um, the trauma mm-hmm. was, way more intense than any paranoia I had ever experienced. So that's a good idea, right? You're experiencing paranoia as a result of PTSD. What's, what's a good, how do you treat that? Yeah, I shot meth. That was mine. (laughs) It went real well. So I started smoking crack. Right. Right. And then, you know, the FBI, the CIA, ninjas, aliens, helicopters, the whole shooting match. And, um, and I never was able to find that balance between high and drunk or whatever else I was choosing to use at the time. I never found it again from, from that point on. Oh, that's interesting. So yeah. so you moved back. This is when – so you moved back to Baton Rouge. This is when I remember it. And uh, I had just gotten out of East Baton Rouge, the parish um, yeah. jail. Lovely place. Been there myself. Such a lovely place. I had a lot of fun there. I made lots of friends, including Mystical. Oh, I, <laughs> I served that, him that, mashed potatoes. That's a whole other podcast. Whenever you're, whenever you're ready to do a Mystical hour, I'm, I'm down. <laughs> um, so you moved into, I got you into the Oxford house I was in. And yes. funny story about that. Uh, I, dude, th- my MO at the time was I would, I, like, I would get all of my friends into the same sober house I was at and then fucking immediately regret it. Like, because you, like, I had started, yeah, well, but this is, but this is why I regretted you is because I had started taking Kratom and like, you're no fool. So like me and Brad had this thing going on and like, you know, we would, everyone else there was pretty naive and and stupid, but like, you know, the jig. So it was way harder to like lie to you when we'd be like, Hey, we're going to go to the store and you'd be like, I want to come. And we're like, Oh, you, but you can't for yeah. some reason that I can't I think of. Damn it, Ben. Happening once. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, no, we're going on a secret mission. And I was like, hmm, secrets are weird to have here. <laughs> uh, but so what I had actually done was I had moved back and I 
I had quit the uh, cocaine and I kept drinking the way I was drinking. So I had nothing, no counterweight. Mm. And uh, my, my, you know, shaking, things were really tough. I was really having a hard time keeping it together drinking, but I was working. So yeah. I figured out that I needed to um, to find a way to, to pull it to pull it back, pull it together. And um, I knew that sobriety was something that um, I needed badly. And so what I did was I moved into the Oxford house and I did not tell anybody. Uh, the reason for that was twofold. One, I was not sure I could do it. I really didn't believe that I could do it. And I didn't want to tell a bunch of people that that was what I was doing only to let them down again. Yeah. And a second reason was I was really embarrassed about where I had ended up. You know, I could oh, yeah. not really put a couple of days together. I could not, um, I couldn't tell the truth. I mean, I was a mess, dude. No, Part well, of it was just like I liked lying, you know. Well, like, and, and, and I, you know, I remember, I remember it, your, you know, whatever, whatever that house was. <clears throat> well, I remember your pride because uh, before you moved in, I, I had like given you a ride home from work or something, and there was no power on <laughs> where you were living, and I dropped you off, and like you were just, you were basically like fishing to like, like. It get me to invite you to, to spend the night at a house that had power in it and like I'll, <laughs> I dropped you off and you're like yeah no it's it's cool I'm just gonna like sit on the porch and read and I was, and I, and I was like motherfucker like come on you can stay with us I remember uh, that that was a funny and I actually, actually that was a big catalyst for me to move in because I, I went out there and I spent the night and I was like you know what they've got going here is actually more of what I need than reading on the porch yeah, in a house uh, with no power. Yeah, and so in a house with no power and no water. Um, During summer. Heat. Yeah, uh, I made it through the winter without heat. That's yeah. right. Yeah, oh, um, God. Yeah, that was a tough situation. Um, yeah. So, so then I remember getting a call that, hey, you need to come home. Ben is, is here and he's he's wasted, which I had never seen Ben fucked up uh, until this point, and I come home and... Ben's just drunker than shit on the porch. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so I had to kick you out. Um, and I was very drunk. You were very drunk. Uh, bottle in hand, not, not giving a fuck. Bottle? Where did I get a bottle? Who gave me a bottle? I don't know. I think you I, I think, I thought you had a bottle. I might have. I might have. So, throw them sometimes when I'm drinking. Like, I just magically, I'm like, whoop, the, you know, well, this, it's just. <laughs> yeah bing uh so then you like went to this hotel you called me and i came over and you were just it was the sad state of affairs and you're wasted i was was trying to die um yeah i I spent a few days in that hotel about a week um and uh i remember that very clearly um which is funny because uh all i was taking into my body was um gatorade and whiskey mixed together yeah um that was it uh, so I was pouring whiskey into the Gatorade just so that I would get some um, non-whiskey into my body and some electrolytes or whatever. Gatorade's like science, right? If you drink it, it you'll be- it's electrolytes. Exactly, it's electrolytes, right? And but that was it. That was all I was taking in. And um, I remember that too because I had heroin, and I was too greedy to give you any. I think is what it boiled down to. Like, I actually specifically remember telling you that. Um, that if you gave me any, it would kill me. Yeah, and then uh, you were like, "Give me some." 
Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it, that that's that is what you said. You're like you're like no 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 no, and then you're like, Jed, give me some, and I was like, no, yeah. dude, <laughs> nope. But it wasn't because I was virtuous. It was just because I didn't have enough at the time. Yeah, I'm sure. Made... Uh, so, so, but that's yeah. where I left. That's where I left off with you. And then you just mm. disappeared. Yeah, I came back. Um, I came back here after uh, when I didn't die. I was like, okay, time to do something about it again. Yep. And uh, I'm going to spend the rest of our time talking about what I did something about it because yeah. it's absolutely my life today is unbelievable. Like. It's stupid good, um, and all it really took was um, some some actual action on my part. Like I kept screaming to the universe to help, but I wasn't willing to do anything to actually help myself or anybody else, and it kept not working, and I could not figure out for the life of me why that was. But anyway, I bounced around again for a while. I kept, you know, I came back. I kept drinking, you know, tea talks, you know, um, you know, out drinking again. Uh, getting high, you know, sh- shooting drugs again and all the stuff. It was pretty bad. In fact, um, you know, I had some experiences during that time that were really like bottom, hidden bottom experiences. I did some things that, uh, you know, not only am I not proud of, but they were real wake up calls even in the moment. Like, I'm doing this, but this can't be who I am. Like, truly, truly, like, yeah. Making, I'm, 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 I'm like putting people's lives at risk. I'm, you know, stealing from people who, who, who do nothing but give me unconditional love. Um, um, you know, ignoring people that are reaching out. Um, you know, lying, cheating, stealing. Um, you know, blowing off responsibilities. Um, just all this shit. And in the moment, unbelievable clarity. Like, I'm not gonna make it here. You know, this is so bad, I'm not going to make it. And um, I ended up uh, getting arrested a bunch of times, a bunch of times. Uh, and one, one time, actually, the cops came into the restaurant that I was working in uh, and pulled me out. That was fun. <laughs> I think that's a, I don't know, whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. We, the restaurant shared a parking lot with the police station in the town. <laughs> so, I couldn't even walk to my car without, without that's getting hilarious. Um. So I went, so Massachusetts has uh, something called a Section 35, and that is um, forced drug and alcohol treatment. Uh, The judge uh, for a domestic assault case, um, I was called to the home of my parents, um, you know, accused of basically assaulting my mother. What I did was I I grabbed her and tried to prevent her from leaving the room to call the police. Mm. Um, That's assault. Yeah. Yeah. and, uh, and I was arrested for that. Um, and that's a much more serious charge, right? Um, you know, I had made a lot of threats, uh, both to my family and to the police and threats is another serious charge. Don't make threats. No. Uh, and so, um, you know, I, the judge, uh, sent me on a section 35 to, to sober me up detox while I was waiting on my first court appearance. And, um, and I spent 35 days there, uh, what's known as being haved in. So they wouldn't let me leave until I went to court. A lot of people would come in for a few weeks. They would do what they needed to do, and they would get released on their own recognizance until they come back for their court date. Not me. Hmm. Um, this was allowed in my case. And uh, I spent five weeks there. Um, and the whole time, 
I, I spent there. I was dreaming about the day that I got out. I had planned exactly what I was going to do. I had a little bit of money. I was going to get high and I was going to end it. Um, and I, every single night, I couldn't even sleep at night. I was so excited about it for weeks, for weeks. And all anybody in there talked about was getting high. And I was right there with them. Like, I was like, yep, yep, here we go. Here we go. Like, my day's coming. My, is it today yet? Is it today yet? And, um, and the day I got to court, I went to court and, um, and you know, the judge was not ready to toss, you know, any of my stuff. Right. Cause I had done wrong. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and my court appointed attorney, uh, made mention of a place that he knew of here in Massachusetts that, um, actually helped his words, not mine, idiots like me. And, um, <laughs> and actually what he described sounded to me a lot like St. Christopher's and, um, and I went, I went cause I didn't have any place else to go. I well, went cause when I called to ask if they had a bed, the guy said that he would stay open. He would stay later if, uh, if oh, I didn't wow. have to go that night. And, um, and I got there and I had nothing. I had, what uh, was it called? It was called number 16 in Wakefield, Massachusetts. It's no longer in operation. Uh, hopefully one day that will change. Um, but I showed up with the clothes on my back, uh, that I had been arrested in five weeks prior. And, um, I had a towel and a pillowcase, no pillow. Um, and I stuffed the towel in the pillowcase, uh, you know, for my pillow and I had the clothes on my back. Um, and, uh, and I started my, started my journey. Um, and, uh, you know, I met a lot of guys there that had a lot of the same experiences as me that had bounced around a lot. And, um, the very next day after I got there, um, I started going through the book. And um, when I say going through the book, I mean reading through chapter by chapter and actually doing the steps, uh, just exactly how they're laid out in the book. And um, the way that that was, um, can you, uh, so the way that that was. Um, oh, yeah, we can hear it. Sorry. Uh, the way that that was. Um, oh, and he's talking about the the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Your book of Alcoholics Anonymous, excuse me, right? And so, um, so the way that it was done was we, you know, would switch off reading back and forth, and then the whoever it was that day, somebody who worked there would share their experience in in what that had meant for them in their life, um, and it worked. You know, one on one is really the best way to to work with somebody. It talks, you know, it talks about bringing people through the steps. Um, you know, the the best people to do it are people who've done it themselves. And, you know, the best way to do it is just go ahead and do it, you know, like as soon as somebody's sober enough to be coherent. And that's exactly what worked for me. Um, you know, I, I lived at that house for um, three months. I moved to another house they had three months later, you know, entirely peer run, you know, people who had been through the program themselves, people who were active in the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, they didn't, there were no sort of, um, you know, you got to go to five meetings in a week or anything like that. Like we would go to a meeting here and there. Uh, we had a house meeting, but basically it was about practicing the steps in your daily life. Um, that's, that's cool. And I found so much relief in that, that I hadn't experienced before. Um, really practicing and like really actually trying to figure out how I could apply that stuff to my life changed everything. Um, I was still incredibly ripful and still incredibly resentful. Like I was just as angry and just as stupid as I had always been when I started out. And it gave me a design for living that, um, that helped me cure a lot of that stuff. Um, it took a shit ton of practice, but I started getting better in the first couple of weeks. So where did, when did, 
you start, um, when did you decide that you wanted to be a social worker? Ooh, that's a good question. Like, did I you go back did. to school or how did that happen? Nope. Never did. Um, nice. so what happened was I had been working at restaurants with some success, um, you know, before and then even into sobriety. That's a tough um, job to have sober. I you know, say that. to be perfectly honest with you, like the, the way that I was working hard, um, I, once the allergy, uh, you know, had been and the obsession had, had left me, um, I actually thought it was a pleasure working in restaurants, um, in sobriety. I was actually able to be the person, uh, who was sane and reacted normally in situations for the very first time in my life. And there was a real, you know, I wouldn't call it pride, but there was a real satisfaction in that. Yeah. Know, being that's the a good point. That was actually clear minded and, and could could take a situation that was getting out of hand and really apply some some simple action and and, and make it better like actually contribute uh, in a positive way to something that was going wrong right. um, and so I was doing that and um, I took a job working back for the the same guys who had opened that house they had opened a 30 day inpatient um, place uh, in another town here in Massachusetts and I went back there to cook. Um, and I made all the meals there. It was actually the best job I'd ever oh, had. Yeah, I'm sure that was sweet. Made all the meals. I got a chance to talk to all the guys that were new every single day. I got a chance to run big book groups. I got a chance to share personal experience. I really was finding this connection and helping other people, and I loved it. Um, it closed. There's a long story there, but there was a legal battle, and it ended up closing its doors um sort of a not in my backyard situation where the neighbors were like you can't do something like this here they ended up winning the case but it drained the the bank account uh it's the long and short of it so i ended up shuttering the doors and i lost my job and it was the best job i'd ever had in my life it wasn't mm -hmm. the most money ever made in my life but i found a freedom there that i had an experience so i just went back to working in regular kitchens and you know it was like same old grind i was working 70 hours a week yeah 30 years old and like, ugh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how much I can do this. And a friend of mine, um, who was uh, sober had been working for this agency for a while doing one-on-one -on -one peer support with people. And, um, I watched it change his life. I never thought it was something that I'd be interested in doing, but he just, he caught me on the right day and was like, you would be really good at this work. Like, will you, we need somebody like, will you apply? And uh, I went in, I interviewed with his boss. I had an immediate connection with her. Um, she really believes in recovery very strongly, um, really believes in a lot of the same fundamental things that I do. Um, and we were just a really good match. And immediately I was able to go in there and start feeling the positive impact that I was able to make. And so no uh, she's had certifications and education along the way because she believes very strongly in me, which I don't know why, but uh, Wait, she does. And broke up for a second there. Uh, so she believes strongly in me, so she's helped me get some of the education that I'm lacking along the way. Um, oh, cool. But never went back to school, never decided that it was something that I wanted to do. I went to an interview on a whim and just found um, found something that, sounded really specifically interesting to me and i have not looked back it has been a whirlwind last couple of years dude that's legit you know i've gone from being able to help maybe one person one-on-one -on -one situationally to ha having an impact that can help hundreds of people on a daily basis which is pretty freaking cool
That is cool. I'll have to. I'll definitely be hitting you up for uh, early counseling advice. Early, yeah, dude. So I do that. You know, I've I've helped guide a lot of people I know in the direction of finding work, and you know, so I, I work primarily with people um, on the mental health side of things now, which is Ooh. pretty wild because. I myself am, am certainly mentally ill. Yes. Um, you know, I, I, I definitely am. It's something I struggle with constantly, but I've found, uh, I found a lot of ways that really help me and I live a wholly functional, very reasonable, really good life these days. And I'm helping other people do the same thing. So it's pretty cool. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah, it's not bad. Pretty good gig. Ooh, whoops. Well, dude, thanks for taking the time, man. Uh, We'll have to get you, we'll have to do a, a joint episode with you and Dirty and just talk about St. Chris. I would love that, and I would also love to talk about some of the wild stuff that happened. That was um, we talked for a really long time about all the in in and out kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and that's everybody's experience. I I get so tired of hearing that shit, so I'm sorry I dropped it on everybody. But I need I have to say one thing. Do I have a minute? Oh yeah yeah. So you and I, when we were living in the Oxford house, we had a conversation, I believe it was on Thanksgiving at about 11 o'clock at night. Um, we were looking for a fast food place that was open because nothing was open because it was Thanksgiving. And I was telling you about how um, stressed out I was with all the in and out that I've been, you know, you know, back and forth, in and out, yada, yada for, the, for so many years and how terribly depressed I was feeling. And you told me, uh, in that moment that I would never find the kind of sobriety that I was looking for unless I built a relationship with uh, a God of my understanding. Um, Whoa. And I did not get sober after that day. I spent a, a good bit of time not being sober after that day, but I never forgot that because in that moment I believed it to be absolutely true. And now I know for sure that it is. Um, truth be told... I actually tell that story on a pretty regular basis because that was one of those sort of aha moments for me. And you probably don't even remember no. it. That's, well, no. Yeah. I don't I think know. You I don't think I did. Barrel with your family earlier in the day, but yeah. you had not had a garbage food. And so we were out on a mission to find some. And, um, and yeah, I told you I was basically oh, awesome. to the point where I wasn't, you know, I really didn't see a way out. And, um, and you told me that there was, there was, pretty much one solution for me so from uh, a point of um, vehement atheism to uh, a relationship with a power greater than myself that i rely on on a daily basis uh is pretty wild and you were a big part of that dude in all in all your fuckery dude well that's (laughs) that was oh man well yeah that was when because i had that intense I had three intense spiritual experiences in jail and like I was like like God came back into my life in like this crazy huge way and that's the only time in my life that he's like plucked the obsession away with no work but the problem was I didn't I was like sweet thanks for the gift and like yeah. didn't do anything about it but yeah that's so that makes sense but dude that's so well, nuts it's so it's ab- wait what it was the absolute truth I didn't I mean I believed it but it took me a while to find it. Yeah, well, and I, I was talking to, um, I had Brad on the other day too. You remember Brad? I sure do. Yeah, he's we're, sober now. He's got a kid. He's married. Good for him. Yeah. Um, 
but it's just it's just so it's interesting that like a we're all still alive and like b we've all it's someone said this uh, i think it was like bob Forrest was saying that like using and drinking is like the same old boring shit but like sobriety is so unknown and exciting and like it's the trippiest the most like psychedelic experience ever i don't i don't know about all that if you want to talk about some trippy stuff have me back on and we'll do a ufo episode because i know oh, you i know oh you yeah <laughs> oh yeah the baton rouge ufo yeah i don't know what i saw i wrote about it in a journal though that that blew my mind i was sober anyway yeah oh yeah Yeah, so that was a good interview, man. Yep. <laughs> um, All day. So we were just talking about counseling, and you were saying what makes a good counselor. And I had heard this in the counseling school, is that like you're not supposed to do self-disclosure, and I always thought like that's my greatest asset. So like, why are you not supposed to do that? So I think there's good arguments for both sides. I think ultimately it's an intuitive decision that you make on a case-by-case basis, you know? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that in t- sometimes what, what happens a lot that's a problem is in psychology and mental health, they try to treat addiction like everything else, you know what I mean? And so, but it doesn't transfer over well at all. Um so, and what I mean by that is, you know, if I, you know, if I was a recovered schizophrenic, I wouldn't want to tell, you know, right. my schizophrenic patients that it would kind oh, of get messy. So, but so they're treating it like, like they treat it like another DSM diagnosis, you know. And so, but okay. what I realized in the last year was, and this was through my own personal processes and whatnot, is that a lot of times I found myself er, the urge to disclose based on me feeling more connected to them well isn't that important though it is but ultimately it should be all in the interest of them you know yeah, um that's true. and it, you know what i'm saying is so if, if if the main question is you know why am i doing this and is it for me to feel more close like more connected and 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 have a, a, a bigger process with them then i would say no but if it's in the interest of you know, I want them to be able to connect uh, and um, and just get the get the most out of this. And I would say yes. I mean, if you're working in a treatment center, then yeah, everyone's gonna know. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Exactly, like they, exactly. they always ask. You know what I'm saying? If it's like a private practice deal, I would say just use your judgment. I, you know? I, I guess also too, I'm, I'm realizing that the counselors I've respected the most, it's the ones that just give out enough to like keep you guessing, like damn what did yeah. that, that dude do and then like he'll just every now and then he like i remember uh i i guess i want to say his name but one of my counselors i had we didn't know anything he had done and then one night he just busted out like i used to shoot lsd into my eyeball and we were like what? holy shit <laughs> like whoa i've so done that, that once That's- oh yeah i think we talked like with a needle oh we're not no yeah. no with the eyedropper he straight up did the tear duct shot 
Oh my god! I know, dude. Dang. We were like, we were like, we're not worthy. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. That is the most hardcore thing I have heard yet. <laughs> that's that's nuts. That's nuts. So, that's well, nuts. and speaking of nuts, I I hate everyone when a national tragedy happens. Like, I can't yes. deal with fucking Facebook anymore. I I. I cannot stand it anymore like yeah. yeah why is everyone so seemingly stupid everyone it becomes just the self it's like it's like when your homie dies oh we were so close yeah dude it's no like, you didn't know him you didn't know him at you all know? like yeah it becomes dude. a self-obsessive thing i mean i think it's just important to focus on the consciousness of humanity and and just like why is this guy you know why is this okay? To, I don't know. I, I don't yeah. really don't want to get into it, but I, I yeah, I'm not. I don't want to get into like the specific thing, but it's like the, yeah. some points I've heard lately that I agree is like Facebook has taken away our ability to mourn as a culture yeah. because immediately people have to defend their position, like from Correct. jump. You got to be like, this is what I'm about, and this is why, and it's like right. fuck that, right? Hey, and then the, you know, go ahead. I mean, from like, from like, you know, perspective of psychology, we talk about adaptive coping skills. And so what is adaptive as a human being? And I would say that, um, like adaptive would be, you know, calling my mom, maybe calling you talking about this, processing it. And then maladaptive would probably be, let me go on Facebook and just like, you know, vomit all over the place and start a fight with somebody. Start a fight, yeah. And, and... (laughs) And then, that's not and the other thing about stuff like this mm-hmm. is so y'all are telling me that like we're gonna colonize mars and yet like you mars know what i'm bitches. saying like this this is people like when people finally get confronted with the fact that people are fucking evil and like evil mm-hmm. happens and this mm-hmm. I guess I guess for me it's it's frustrating just because like I so plainly see a world that needs God and then when yeah. something like this happens it's so obvious to me that obvious. it's just like that's obvious. what happens like to some you know what I'm saying like and then and someone made my point for me he it was this atheist dude not to knock on atheists but this one specifically was like how is it that after a hundred thousand years of evolution, this stuff is still happening? And I was like, you just answered your own fucking question. Like, maybe because you're... Oh, my God, dude. When, when the academics stop realizing that the further they investigate, when they start realizing that they just it just leads to more questions. Yes, you know, dude. Ultimately, you have to throw in the towel. You do. You know, like, at some point. We will. I mean, I, I love a a a a, a, past, a preacher said it in a, a SRF. He says, "In the end, God always wins." It's true. <laughs> well, it's inescapable yeah. because mm-hmm. things like this will happen, and and it's it yeah. really is. It's just proof to me. And like, yeah, goes without saying. Like, obviously, tragedy. Like, that's not kind of what we're hit hitting on. But I don't. How are people? How do people not make the correlation? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. Right. And, and I just they, don't. I mean, you know, you want to talk about gun laws and all this? It's just like, wow. Guess what? I shot heroin. You know? With, yeah. With, yeah. It, you know, Heroin's I mean, pretty illegal. I mean, last time I argument checked. Argument over. Argument <laughs> over. Yeah, dude. And and like, 
and here's the other thing too. If I, I don't, I don't know, man. It's like, I don't know. It, if I had no God and no value system, then like, why not go mow down why the not? crowd? Why not? Tell me why not? Why you not? Know? Why oh, not? Because it's wrong. And, and this is the thing: the more, the more, the and it's the more intelligent you are. Yes, dude. And the more you are awake to the fact that this, you know, the world is but a veil, you know. Yeah. And if you have this perception without the backing of power in your life it's bad that's a recipe for bad bad. that's that's where hitler comes in that's exactly that's where some evil because you know the truth but it's only half the truth yes and the other half will give you freedom and connection with your brothers and sisters and god and and if you don't know that peace then man what's what's to stop me you know nothing that's what i'm saying (laughs) And, and like it's it's almost a flawed lo- like it's almost a flawed logic in my mind for something like that not to happen if you don't have right. it because it is like that's like people like when a hurricane or a tsunami happens everyone's real quick to jump on like where's your god now but the people that espouse science aren't mm-hmm. why aren't you not screaming like well it's a cold calculating universe that's exactly what is supposed to happen you know right right big deal like what you know what i'm saying like the fuck do you think's gonna happen dude you live on a coastline there you go instead it's like well where's your god now like where's your god now man people suck where's your science now where's your science now better pray to dawkins i swear that's when whenever i'm working with my atheist boss I'll, i'll like stub my finger or something i'll be like oh dawkins Dawkins, (laughs) Dawkins, <laughs> Dawkins H. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I stuff. went to a talk one time with the, uh, the the presenter. He was really good, but he was super atheist, and he he just kept on bashing like science and different things, and he kept on saying, "Oh my science!" <laughs> <laughs> like, was he wow. serious? You think? Yeah, he was serious. He was serious. <laughs> oh wow, man. Yeah. I can't remember who I was listening to, but they're saying that, like they had like a hardline atheist friend, and every time mm-hmm. he would sneeze, he would be like, "God bless you," and his friend would be like, "Dude, stop doing that!" Doing that. God. It's so funny, man. People are funny. People are and funny. Do, do you? Th- I don't know if it's like arrogant of me, but I always wonder because the whole there's no such thing as a, a atheist. Uh, in a foxhole or whatever because mm-hmm. uh, I always wonder I'm like is it just that th- those people have never been face to face like with their own mortality in like a life or death moment or something because I really feel like I guess I'd like to see some data on that but like is it even possible to be in such a situation and not f- automatically go to God or something like that correct and I think that you're onto something I mean we you know in in from like an integral perspective, when I took this class, uh, teacher, she was obviously very connected. She didn't use the word God, but but she did in, in other words, you know. Yeah. And uh, and she said, you know, she says there is no development without pathology or like without sickness, uh-huh. and there is no sickness without development. And so I think what she was getting at was like. When stuff happens, you know, like my parents really found a, a, a god and a guru when Hurricane Katrina happened, you know. Interesting. You know what I'm saying? And and they've yeah. been in India their whole life. They come over here and they, you know what I'm saying? It was just so odd how that, that was the impetus 
for their spiritual path than I found mine, you know, in Cinecore, you know? Oh, uh, yeah. I you know think, what I'm saying? I think my parents you know, and, found mine. So when you, I think when you get brushed up against this stuff, it it it, it, it takes you to the next level. Um, with that next level being divine spirit, God, whatever you want to call it, and either that or it ends up in some maladaptive type of behavior where you start to just have to start researching. And not, those people they don't seem to be very happy. To no. Me. No. You know, so it's not it's not like a a, a, a a flourishing model of development. It's not like it's a let me just chastise everybody. Let me yeah. insert my own opinions when they're not asked and warranted. It's an elitist know. position. It's because it's, it's an elitist position. I, I yeah. had a conversation with someone and he was like, I, I think I it's think. I feel like atheists believe what they say because it's not a rewarding position to take and i was like nah see but they get like i think they get like a massive intellectual you get an intellectual it's a pride pride out of it everything behavior doesn't exist in a vacuum so you you're always getting some sort of reinforcer out of it you know exactly and and see and you know i think a lot to them that the ego gets fed and for us you know when we try to reach out and do things granted we know we do fucked up shit also absolutely oh yeah but you know what I'm saying? Not to say that you know we're better than worse than, but I think that it feeds the spirit more, you know, when we're. And it, man, and it might be that like, I guess what's a good example of it? Like, it's almost like when like you've heard of cases where people get hit in the head and then all of a sudden they can play piano. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, Maybe yeah. it's almost like a spiritual version of that, where like some people are so, and it could be even like Same. generational, where like it's you're you're being birthed into a situation that's so cut off from God that it takes something mm-hmm. to like hit you over the freaking spirit to like yeah. even make you able to see. Ugh, right, that right. would suck, man. Yeah, that would really yeah. suck. Yeah, but then there, there's a case to be made that in each person's life, like. God will do that, and then it's on the it's on the person to respond. But I guess who knows? And that's why you know, and that's where my my you know my tidbits about reincarnation come in, where it's just like, well, if you don't, you know, either something really bad happened, or you did some messed up stuff in previous life, and it's just so hard for you to accept this, and and you're gonna pretty much keep coming back until you do. Jed does not endorse the, the latter <laughs> statement. <laughs> all right, well, we've been we've been going for a minute. Oh, all right, uh, y'all need to, if you haven't yet, go leave us a review on iTunes, please. Uh, it takes a second, but it lasts a lifetime. So if you could just do that, that'd be fantastic. Write us an email. Church and Other Drugs at gmail.com. Check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash church and other drugs, and on Twitter at C O Their Drugs. The best show. Hit us with that, Apu. Thank you. Come again. <laughs>